Well, good morning. It is so good to be with you today in person. Um, I want to give a shout out to our staff, especially I want to shout out to Tyler Leland and his wife Adrian and Ryan Kime last week for scrambling on a Saturday to help make uh, Sunday's message possible. Um, it was awesome to, uh, to see them come together and help us uh, make that happen. Uh, today, we're going to be in Matthew 25. It's going to take us a little bit to get there. But did you know that it is easier to stay warm than it is to get warm? People in the South don't really get this, but in northern Indiana, you know that it is much easier to stay warm than it is to get warm. And the reason is because when your body gets cold, your, your body obviously loses warmth and your body goes into overdrive to burn more fuel and to create more heat and the blood vessels on, on the surface of your skin begin to contract and reduce blood flow because your body is smarter than your mind. Your body knows we gotta protect the vital organs. And so it really creates stress for the entire nervous system. So it's easier to stay warm than it is to get warm because when you're getting warm, you're burning more calories, you're burning more energy, and again, your, your nervous system is stressed out. And the same is true for your money, sort of. We're gonna come back to that in a minute. Today, we're concluding our series, Money Talks. If our money started talking, what would our money say? And we decided that none of us would be shocked at what our money would say. The shocker is the parallel between what our money would say if it could talk and what Jesus did say when he did talk about money and possessions. And so week one, we asked the question, what would our money say if it could actually talk? And, and our money would say, I can add meaning to your life, but I'm not the meaning of life. And we talked about the fact that, that money becomes most meaningful when it becomes a means to an end that's not you. That when we discover what it is we want our lives to be a means to, our money usually follows. And we ask at the end of that first message, we ask this question, to what ends do we want our lives to be a means to? And this is the question that all of us at some point in our life should ask because your life will not be meaningful unless it becomes a means to an end that's not you. That's what meaningful means. Meaningful means being a means to an end. And when you answer the bigger questions of life, your money follows and your money becomes a means to an end that's not you. The second thing our money might say if it started talking is, I'm a better servant than master. In fact, your self-control will actually determine which one of us gets in control. Because money woes generally begin with character issues, not money problems. That money woes often begin with our character rather than our income. And so wrapping up today, I wanna to talk about the third thing that our money might say if it began to talk. And once again, it parallels exactly what Jesus said when he did talk about money and possessions. And here's what our money might say. I'm easy to keep up with, but I'm difficult to catch up with. I'm easy to keep up with, but I'm difficult to keep up, keep up with. Keep up or you'll be playing catch up. It's a little bit like staying warm. When you fall behind financially, and specifically when you fall behind knowing where your money went and where your money is going, you begin to burn more calories, you begin to burn more energy, you begin to get more stressed out, you begin to get more worried. 
You burn more energy and create more stress playing catch-up financially. And and the truth is, and you're not going to like me for saying this, there's really no excuse for not knowing where your money's been going. There's really not a good excuse for not knowing where your money went. See, when it comes to money, we should never find ourselves saying, well, it, it, it seems to me, I'm not sure, well, that can't be right. And the reason we should never say these things when it comes to our finances is because a certain amount comes in and then we send it places, right? A certain amount comes in, you should know how much comes in, and then you or you and your husband or you and your wife, you send it places. So consequently, we should all be knowing where our money is going. We should all know this. That there should be no mystery about where your money's going. Now, there's mystery when it comes to love and romance, right? There's a lot of mystery when it comes to raising kids. There's a lot of mystery when they become middle schoolers and high schoolers. There's a lot of mystery around certain decisions in life. But there should be absolutely no mystery when it comes to knowing where our money went. And the problem is when you lose track of where it's going, it takes over. Because it takes over emotionally. And you know how we feel. You know how we feel because we've all been there. You feel out of control, don't you? You just feel like something has taken over and you're just trying to catch up. And so if your money started talking and started addressing this particular issue, your money may say, look, I'm easy to track. But if you lose track of me, you'll lose your peace of mind. And if you lose your peace of mind for too long, you may feel like you're losing your mind. And so as a a result, all of us need a plan for tracking our spending so that we know where our money's going. And this is true whether you have a little or a lot. And the problem is, when I talk to people on the two extremes, that the people who don't have a lot, they're like, well, there's no point in keeping track because it's, it's so hard to keep track of. And the people who have a lot are like, well, I don't need to keep up because I have so much that I don't really need to keep up, right? But what we're gonna discover today especially if you are a follower of Jesus, is that there's every reason in the world to keep up with where your money's going. We all need a plan for tracking our spending, whether you have a lot or a little. And I'm not talking about a budget. For some of you, it's great news, because what's a budget? You think, well, I I think it's a bad idea. (laughs) No, we, we all need a budget to some extent. But what is a budget? A budget is a theory. A budget is a a theory that rarely reflects reality. Now at work, you're super careful because at work, someone's constantly looking over your shoulder and at work, there's consequences, even though there's a little bit of margin. But but personally, when when it comes to a, a family budget, it's just a theory that rarely reflects reality. It assumes a specific future that none of us can predict the future to that degree. So a budget is great for estimating. But the other problem with a budget is where it lives. Where do budgets live? Budgets live in desktop folders, right? You created it. It was perfect. You made it in Excel. had all these different colors. It was beautiful, right? 
and it's lived there ever since, right there in that desktop folder. And you know where it is, but, but nobody looks at it because it's not dynamic. And if you're going to get this part of your finances right, and I'm going to encourage you as strongly as I can to get this right, you need something more dynamic than a budget that doesn't actually do anything, but just sits there and reminds you of what you have or haven't done. But it's not really a reminder because it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. You need a simple way to track your actual spending. And the deal is now it's so easy. There, there's no excuse for all of us not to do this. See, see, the old school way of doing it was this. Some of you are going to remember this. Do you remember graph paper? Anybody remember graph paper? So with, with, with graph paper, what you would do is you would put all the categories on the left side, right? And then anytime there was a new category, you'd add a category to the left side. And then across the top, you would put the days and the weeks and the months. And then what you would do is every week, every day would, would actually be better, but, but every week you would take the receipts and you would write down what you spent in each category. Now, you don't have to use graph paper, but if you will develop this habit, and I'm gonna give you a specific challenge in just a minute. If you will develop this habit, then there's no guessing, there's no seeming, there's less wondering. In fact, there's actually less worrying because when you know that you're going to record it, you will be more inclined to consider whether or not you should afford it. When you know you're gonna record it, you will be more inclined to consider whether you should afford it. See, this is what preachers do. We sit around trying to make things rhyme, okay? Now, as I was thinking about this, I almost made a mistake. I was gonna say, don't raise your hand. I was gonna say, it's kind of like keeping track of what you eat. And then I was gonna say, don't raise your hand. I was gonna say, how many of you have ever used one of those apps where you log everything that you eat, okay? And then I was thinking, man, people shouldn't raise their hand for that. But how many of you have ever used one of those apps to track and log what you eat, anybody? <laughs> yeah, there, there's some hands there. It's, it's a great thing. And, and when you use one of those apps, you're like, okay, I'm gonna log everything that I eat. And some of the apps will tell you the amount of calories and Others of them, you gotta kind of figure out how you go and you kind of get in this rhythm because you tend to eat the same sorts of things. And what happens when you do that? A lot of you have done this. You realize that every time that you're about to eat something, you think, oh, oh, I gotta log it. Oh, I don't really wanna log that. Or you do what I do and you say, oh, I got 600 calories left, okay? And I don't wanna use those 600 calories here. I wanna save it for that piece of pie later and it's 800, but it's close enough, right? but you start playing these games. But what happens? It slows you down, doesn't it? In fact, then you start finding out how many calories foods are. And it becomes a, a little bit of this game that you play. Why? Because if you know you're gonna log it, you're gonna sort of protect those calories for something better or, or something later to make sure that you don't go over your 4,000 calorie limit every day or your 3,000 calorie limit or your 2,000 calorie limit. Now, in the paycheck to paycheck seasons of life, and for many people and for most people, that's our whole lives, right? But in the paycheck to paycheck season, this habit actually takes the pressure off. The habit takes the pressure off because it takes the guesswork out. It's easy to know where to cut back when you have to cut back. It's easy to know where to cut down when you got to cut down. And let's be honest, 
going backwards financially isn't easy. I don't care how spiritual you are. I don't care how mature you are. It's just not easy when you realize, "Uh uh-oh, we gotta spend less. And this happens to everybody. You go from two to one income, you lose a job, you move, there's a setback. One of your kids decides to go out of state to college. It's like, oh, oh, we're gonna have to make some cuts. But here's the thing, it's, it's never ever easy to go backwards. But when you actually know how much you're spending in all of these categories, it's much easier to ask, okay, where can we cut back? And there may be stress in having to cut back, but there shouldn't be stress between you and your spouse because there's none of this, well, it seems to me, it seems to me. In fact, one time I remember, I remember telling Tara that I thought that she should cut back on some of the purchases that, that she was making. You know, it was a a little bit here and a little bit here and some things that I just, I thought were necessary and I was kind of explaining, hey, all these little things, they begin to add up over time. And she's like, oh yeah, really? Uh, do you know how much you've, you've been spending playing golf? And I was like, oh, that one, that, that one hurt. And it created tension because although we had a budget and we've always had a budget, we weren't keeping tabs on our actual spending in real time. If we had been, we would have been, we would have been able to say, well, you know, I've, I've spent this much playing golf, I've spent this much on clothing. <laughs> and that's embarrassing to admit, I, I know. Because if you would have asked me which one of us spends more on themselves, I, I probably would have told you, well, I, I think Tara does. But in reality, it was quite possible that it was me. But because we weren't keeping tabs, we didn't actually know. And so I, I say that to tell you, Stepping back financially isn't easier, but it's easier when you know where your money's actually going. So in the years where you're kind of living paycheck to paycheck and things are are, are tight, and this actually makes things easier because it takes the pressure off. But in the years where there's plenty, where there's margin, and I know it never feels like there's plenty, but when things aren't as tight, in the years of plenty, this actually puts pressure on. And here's what I mean by that. As you accumulate more and more, and as you make more, and as there's more and more margin, when you keep track of where your money is going, you are confronted by how much you spend on yourselves, and you are confronted by how little you actually give. And it's embarrassing, but it can be motivating, and it can be inspiring. And for some of you, it takes the fear away of being generous because you always feel like things are tight. And one of the reasons you feel like things are tight is because you don't know where it went. But once you know where it's going and you get in a habit of looking at it, it will actually keep a healthy pressure on you because the more you have or the more you make, the closer attention you should be paying to where it's going. Not because you have to, but because as we're about to discover it's actually in your best interest too. It's in your best interest too because Jesus said, if you're not careful, those of you who have extra, those of you who have more, those of you who don't necessarily have to be as careful as you should, if you're not careful, you will begin to hoard for the future. Jesus says you will begin to store up for yourself treasures on earth and it will be a source of embarrassment. But let's face it, Because human nature is this. 
when you have more of something than you need, you're just not careful, right? When you have more of something than you need and, and when you have plenty, you're just not careful. If you don't have to be careful, you're not careful. And this is why you leave the sink running and you go over to get something out of the refrigerator and the water just keeps running and running. This is why when, when you go to, to, to wash your car and you, you can't get the, the, the nozzle on the, on the hose and you're just kind of drop it on the ground and let it run off into the yard. Water, water everywhere. Because we, why do we do it? Because we have more than we need. We don't have to be careful with water. There are places in this world, and, and many of you have been there, where if they saw the, the way that, that we are wasteful with water, they would lose their mind. Why? Because it's scarce. But when you have more of something than you need, human nature is, since I don't have to be careful, I'm not going to be careful. But if you're a follower of Jesus, when it comes to your money, that cannot be a factor. That cannot be a reflection of the reality with your, of what you do with your money because of what Jesus taught. So I want to give you a little bit of a challenge. Okay, I gave you a challenge last week. I want to give you a challenge this week. The challenge is this. Just for three months, I want to challenge you. Figure out a way to document your spending for three months. Just three months. I want you to spy on your money. I want you to follow it. I want you to see where it's going and what it's doing. Create a Google Doc. Share it with your husband or with your wife or with a friend. Okay? You don't have to buy graph paper. You don't have to use a pen. There's so much free software out there. There are so many apps to do this with. So many of you use the Cash App or Venmo. Okay, this, this is easy. It's easy to see exactly how much you spend. And I want you to do it for three months. Just log it. And then the second thing that I want you to do is at the end of those three months, I want you to sit down and I want you to look at it. And then I want you to adjust if necessary. Now, for some of you, you're going to be thrilled. For some of you, you're going to be shocked. Now, if you're married, one of you hates me right now, and the other of you wants to come up and give me a hug. Like, I get that, right? I get that because opposites attract, right? And somebody's sitting there going, man, this is my favorite sermon ever, and Somebody else is like, oh, I wish he was here to hear this. I get that. Opposites attract. But hear me on this. This isn't forever. Just three months. Especially if you've got kids, you've got a family. Do this together as a family. Get your kids involved for three months. Just track your spending and then sit down and look at it. Now, I can hear one of the objections already. Someone's thinking, okay, Joel, this is great. This is probably a great idea, but, but it all just shows up on my credit card bill. Like, I use American Express, I, I use Visa, and it all just shows up itemized on, on my bill. See, that's not really my point. Knowing you can know is not the same as knowing. In fact, you, the, the fact that you have access to, to how much you spend is different than, than sitting down and looking categorically at how much you spend in each category. And so the good news is, if you use American Express or, or some other for everything, then it should be easier for you. It should be easier. You have less of an excuse to sit down and at the end of three months to categorically look and say, okay, where did my money go? Now, you may be thinking this is good practical advice, but where's the sermon? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here's the thing. If you are a follower of Jesus, 
This goes way beyond practical. And it goes way beyond helpful. Because Jesus actually taught specifically why this is such a big deal. And here's why I say that. And here's why I want you to take this seriously if you are a follower of Jesus. And it goes a little bit back to something I said last week. Think about this. You are placing your entire eternity on John's words. John, in his gospel, writes about Jesus having a conversation with Nicodemus, and he tells Nicodemus that you must be born again. And later on, as an older man, John is recording this conversation, and as he's recording this conversation, it's like John gets so excited. He's like, I I just want you to know exactly what Jesus was saying because we weren't sure that we understood it either, and Nicodemus certainly didn't, uh, didn't understand it, but now on this side of the cross, on this side of the resurrection, it's so clear. And John, John kind of breaks into the conversation and he writes these words that so many of us, we memorized when we were a kid. For God so loved the world, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And many of you, if you're a Christian, you, you prayed a, a prayer when, when you were younger, when you were a kid, or when you were a teenager, or when you were a college student, or even when you were an adult. And you said, God, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that, that he died for my sins, and I am trusting you with my entire eternity. And so you've already trusted the teaching and the words of Jesus for your eternity. And beyond that, you've actually defined your relationship with God based on Jesus' invitation to address him as Father. That many of you, when you pray, you begin your prayer, Dear Heavenly Father. And the reason you do that is because Jesus taught his disciples to pray that way. He said, when you pray, pray like this, Our Father who is in heaven. And besides that, he said, Your Father, your Heavenly Father, he knows what you need before you even ask. And you've accepted that. You have trusted God with your eternity. And you have defined your relationship based on what Jesus taught. So why? Why would you not lean in as heavily when it comes to what Jesus says about money and possessions? I mean, when you're sick, you ask him to intervene in your health. When your children go astray, you you ask him to, to help your children. When your kids go away to college, you you pray for God to protect them. In other words, if you're a Christian, you invite God in on everything that you can invite God into. So why in the world would we hold back when it comes to our money and our possessions? And let me answer that for you. Because in all those other categories, we don't have any control over them anyway. And so it's easy. And number two, a lot of those categories you can't see. And this is why Jesus is so brilliant, and this is why I believe the New Testament actually reflects his teaching. This is why he is the master teacher, the master storyteller. And this is why you should lean into the teachings of Jesus. Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus knew that your money and your possessions is where the rubber meets the road in terms of your ultimate devotion to God. And it's so much easier for you to give your heart to Jesus than your money. So when Jesus started talking about things like where your heart is, there your treasure will be, 
And the ultimate measure of your devotion to God is what you do with your money. And a person can't have, one, can't, can't have more than one master. He will either serve God and the devil. No, God or money. See, he knew this. And so over and over and over, he says, come on. You're trusting me with your eternity. You're trusting me with your health, your, 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 your job, your singleness, your opportunities. Why would you hold back? when it comes to your money and your possessions. It doesn't make any sense, does it? And what did Jesus say about money and possessions? He was so clear. He said, it's not even yours. It belongs to my Father in heaven. You're not an owner. Don't kid yourself. You're a manager. In fact, with your Bibles turned to Matthew 25, Matthew was a tax collector who followed Jesus. And he wrote the gospel that bears his name, and in it he records a bunch of parables of Jesus. And Jesus' parables, for the most part, they explain how heaven meets earth. They explain the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is not some place you go someday. The kingdom of God is the value system of God that touched down in the person of Jesus on planet earth. And in the parables, Jesus constantly said, here's what the kingdom of God looks like. Here's what it looks like when you live it out on planet Earth, when you live it out in your life as a teenager or as a married adult or as a single adult or as a senior adult. And over and over and over, these parables intersect with the topic of money and possessions. Because Jesus knew that this was such a key area for us to follow him. And so in one of these famous parables, here's what Jesus says. I'm just going to read the, the first part of it. He says in Matthew 25, 14, again, the, the, the kingdom of heaven, the, the value system that God once lived out on earth, again, it will be like a man going away on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Now, in a parable, there is always a God figure and there's always an us figure. Somebody in the parable represents Jesus' audience, and somebody in the parable represents God the Father. And if you read the whole parable, it becomes clear that the wealthy man who is entrusting his wealth to his servants is God, and the servants to whom the wealth is entrusted is you and me and the followers of Jesus. But here's the question, and it's not a trick question. What percentage of the wealth that was bestowed to the servants belonged to the wealthy man? 100%. All of it. And what percentage belonged to the servants? 0%. It was all the masters. And he says, and I'm going to give it to you. And if you read this parable, it's kind of interesting. He gives one guy five bags of something of value, and another guy two bags of something of value, and then one guy gets one bag. And he said, now, now while I'm gone, I expect you to do with my wealth what, what I would do. And when I get back, I hope to have a return on my money. In fact, I want you to manage it the way that you think I would. And when you get back, I want to know what kind of return you got. So I want you to, to work on a return so when I return, I get a return on my wealth. And if you remember this parable, or if you read it, I want to encourage you to, to, to read this, okay? Two of them do really well. They go and basically double their master's money. But one of them doesn't do so well. He just buries it. But the point of the parable is, 
Do you remember what made the difference in the outcome of the story? Do you remember what made the difference when the master returned and asked them to give an account? The issue was not the amount that each of them were asked to manage. The issue was what they did, what they were asked to manage. And the point of the parable that Jesus is making is 100% of it belonged to the master and 0% of it belonged to the servants. They were managers, not owners. So you may be thinking, okay, well, where, where does tithing fit in with all of this? You know, a lot of churches are all about tithe, 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 tithe. 10% goes to God. And I want to tell you, I, I believe in tithing. I believe that it's biblical. My wife and I, we have tithe plus for our entire marriage. I've been taught that 10% goes to God. We are even encouraging you to take the 90-day tithe challenge. I believe that tithing should be the, the, the centerpiece to, to your finances, but with that said, I will tell you that I believe there is a subtle danger when you teach tithing in a certain way. Because the idea of the tithe leaves the false impression that 100% of it's yours. And if you're a really good Christian, then you're going to give 10% of it to God. And when you give your 10% to God, it's like God is so happy. He's like, wow, thank you. You, you gave me a, a penny out of 10 cents? Wow, yeah, I'm, I'm going to bless your socks off. You, you gave me a dollar out of 10? And then you gave me 10 out of 100? And then you gave me a, a hundred out of a thousand? You gave me a, a thousand out of 10,000? And, and then that's usually where we stop. Because once we get, to, get to, to three circles at the end of a one or a two or a three or a four, we think, well, I'm, I'm probably giving more than most people, and so I'm going to stop right there and start thinking about other ways you could use that money. And God's going, seriously? Seriously? You're hung up over a zero? Wait, 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 wait. You think that's a lot of money? You think that's a lot of money? And so what happens is tithing gives the impression that it's ours and we're giving some of it to God. And just so you know, Jesus did not teach that. Jesus didn't even hint at that. Jesus showed up and he said, the kingdom of God is like this. It's like a wealthy man who has allowed some people to manage some of his money. It's all his. They managed it, then they had an opportunity to give an account for how well they did and what they did with the wealthy man's money. It's all his. And here's the great news about that paradigm and the idea and that picture and that approach. And again, Jesus, he was so brilliant. You see, no matter how much money you have, and no matter how much money you make, and no matter how much you possess, you should never, ever, ever feel guilty, and you should never allow anyone to make you feel guilty. And here's why. Because money managers don't feel guilty. It's not their wealth. Money managers feel responsible and accountable for how much of it? For all of it. This was such a paradigm shift in the first century. And it is a paradigm shift that the church still struggles with and continues to struggle with. But Jesus could not have been any clearer. The reason you should keep tabs on where your money is going, it's not your money. We should be knowing where our master's money is going. So you should pay attention. And the more you have, the closer attention you should pay. So create a system. 
and just do this for three months. Create a system where you monitor where your money is going and then sit down and look at it. Stop every once in a while and take a look. And if you don't like what you see, then adjust it and realize, good grief, how could two people spend that much money on themselves? Good grief, how could one person eat that much money? Oh my goodness, how could one person wear that much money? How could one person spend that much money on travel? And then you adjust. Because this is the bottom line. And we see this throughout the teaching of Jesus. How you and I, how we manage our money speaks volumes about who and whose we are. And and, and here's how you know this already. It's not because of what you do with your money that convinces you of this. It's people you've met along the way. Because you have met some very generous people. You've met generous people who had a little, who had a middle, and had a lot, right? And when you saw what they did with their home, when you saw how generous they were with their car, when you saw how generous they were with their possessions, you walked away from those conversations and from those encounters thinking, wow, they're the real deal. There's a lot I don't know about them. I can't hear their prayers. I I don't know their secret habits. I don't know how they parent behind closed doors. I don't know what runs through their mind in church. In fact, I don't even know their church attendance habits. I don't know any of that, but my goodness, they are the real deal because of how they manage their money and their possessions. And Jesus, so brilliant, he knew the very same thing. How you manage your money says so much. It says probably more than anything else about who and whose you are. So come on, pay attention. Pay attention. You will live better. You will love better. You will definitely be more generous. You will have less fear, and you will have far more purpose. If our money could actually talk, what would it tell us? I think it would begin by telling us, hey, I can add meaning to your life, but I'm not the meaning of life. Our money would tell us I'm a better servant than I am a master. But ultimately, your self-control will determine which one of us gets control. Our money would say, hey, I'm actually pretty easy to keep up with, but I'm difficult to catch up with. And you will stress yourself out if you lose track of me. And then ultimately, reflecting the words and the teachings of Jesus throughout his ministry, what you choose to do with me speaks volumes about who and whose you are. Let's pray. God, I pray when it comes to the litmus test of our devotion to you, that when we look at how we spend our money, it would show that we value your kingdom above everything else. God, I thank you for Jesus and his words. I thank you for his teachings. I'm thankful for hope. God, I pray that all of us would understand that every bit of it belongs to you, that we are managers, we're not owners, it all belongs to you. And that we would live our lives in such a way, we would spend our money in such a way that we show that you are our true master. God, I wanna pray for, for those people who are listening to this today 
don't know who Jesus is. They, they don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. And, and we talk about how it's easier to trust Jesus with, with our eternity than it is with, with our money. But, but God, there are people who've never trusted Jesus with their eternity in the first place. And God, it, it starts there, it starts with a relationship. And you have made a way by sending Jesus to be our savior, to die for our sins, that if we would trust in Jesus to be the Lord and savior of our life, then our sins would be washed white as snow we would be able to be in a relationship with you for all of eternity. And when we get that right, we're able to get everything else right too. So God, I pray for anybody who needs to make that decision that they would make it confidently and boldly today. I pray that all of us, every single one of us would honor you with what we say and with what we do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.